Um, we had our event that was uh, Saturday, um, scoreboard for me on Friday, yeah, Lakeside event uh, Saturday, and then Sunday I was kind of prepped for the week, and then we had to be here at 8 a.m. this morning, so a lot going on, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> a lot going on, but let's talk about the first topic. Let's talk about um, just your thoughts on Dave Hunter, um, just him receiving the special <clears throat> honor, and then just what he's meant to the Corky Kill Classic as a whole. I'm going to start with, I think, what is... In my opinion, one of the coolest points about the whole thing. The Corky Kell, when we think of Georgia high school football, it's undeniable that there's this rivalry between Atlanta and South Georgia. It's always been like that. Valdosta, that was the top program in the entire state. They have the most wins in the entire country. And so Valdosta was dominating Georgia for all these years. We have Dave Hunter, who's up in Gwinnett County at Brookwood, and the whole uh, conversation is can one of these metro atlanta schools build something that's able to compete with the valdostas the candons the lounge these south georgia powerhouses that are just dominating well dave hunter was that guy at brookwood and then he creates the corky kell and then we get more of these matchups it's not just going to be in the playoffs where you'll have a brookwood against a valdosta um just a few years into the corky kell in 96 we saw brookwood square off with Valdosta game one, and then they rematched in the state championships. Brookwood got the victory. And so I think being able to invite the South Georgia powerhouses, put them on a stage against the best of Metro Atlanta, that was kind of the original vision Dave had in representing the entire state. And then from then it's obviously just grown to multiple days, multiple games, but I think Putting that north versus south dynamic in it, I think that was huge. No, I agree. I mean, it, it's created a great thing. I mean, we've even seen some of the schools from down south playing in the Corky Kell, the Vadosses of the world, the Lounge of the world. Um, so, yeah, it's, a, it's definitely a big event. Um, things, teams that want to play in, I think it's good for exposure for your program. Um, great way to open the season, um, obviously. And, you know, it's meant a lot. So just, you know, how special do you think of a moment it'll be him being honored at the reception? It's so huge because someone, not only did someone have to do it, but they had to do it the right way. And from the start, the first ever Cork and Kell was 1992 in the Georgia Dome. It was the first ever football game played there before the Falcons, before any college football. And then getting high school football into the Georgia Dome in 92 Georgia Dome didn't last too long. It obviously closed down in 2016. But there were over 500 high school games played in there over the years. And that's a I got to play in there twice in the Corky Cow. And so you add just the fact that you're playing in that venue from the start, it kind of made Corky Cow, okay, what's going on with this event? And then you see it now. Every other state looks at Georgia kicking off the season. And that's another thing. Uh, before the Corky Kell, there wasn't a thing such as um, zero week. So mm. Dave Hunter and them had to negotiate to start the season a week early. So these teams were the only uh, games going on in the state at that time. Now more teams play in that week one. So it really did have okay. the spotlight specifically on the Corky Kell before any of the other uh, games got started so people could see pretty much what the top contenders in the state that season looked like week one and then the season would kick off the next week. But now it just kind of kicks off all at once, but we even have the early start with Wednesday. 
So yeah. it really has had like a drastic impact on just how the season starts. And then that, that momentum always carries on. I think, too, you can point out from it, it's also allowed maybe you could say other games for teams, let's say, that don't want to come travel up like, you know, maybe like a Lowndes or, or Valdosta, right? They're able to do like these Florida Georgia classics. We got now the, the Great Atlanta Bash that's on Saturday after the Corky Kill. So I think it's cool. Uh, the Freedom Bowl in Milton. Um, so I think it's cool. Maybe it was, when, you know, the precedent kind of for the other events that we see nowadays, just for other schools playing um, each other and some of those top programs going head to head, whether it's in state or even out of state. Absolutely. And just um, proposing to teams, just what does it look like to play? I mean, yeah, there's jamborees sometimes, but just like a big time three game lineup, four game lineup, double header. Uh, we saw it last year. Fayette County launched their uh, version of the Corky Kell. And that was great matchups. You had mm -hmm. Sandy Creek, Stars Mill, Whitewater, um, McIntosh, uh, a bunch of other powerhouses. And so it really has become the model. But I think just keeping it going for over 30 years now yeah. through all the obstacles, uh, all the different teams that have come through it, uh, all the great players, that's what the most impressive thing about it is. Even just the venue changes, it wasn't just – COVID. It wasn't just the not being able to play at Mercedes-Benz certain years. I mean, they really have just been hit with a lot of challenges to, to keep it going at the high standard year in and year out. And they did it. I mean, people forget the Mercedes-Benz Stadium was supposed to open in August in 2017. The roof didn't work. It got pushed back. And so we had to actually go to Georgia State. <laughs> wow. For that. And we were the first ever football games played there. So the Corky Cow was the first ever at the Georgia Dome. First football game, period, played at Georgia State Old Turner Field. So that's the type of just dedication to keep this event going that Dave Hunter has been at the forefront of. No, I agree. I mean, you're going to see even this season, I'm not going to reveal it. Um, we do have some news on it, but I'm going to reveal that right around when the season starts. Keep it to myself. But even something special is going to be at the Corky Cow this year. So. You guys stay tuned for that and for all our episodes. Uh, we'll feel that right before the season starts. But I think even that says a lot about how special it is and even, you know, an association wanting to potentially, you know, implement something. Like, that is pretty cool. And they're using court kind of as that, that kind of board to do that. So I'll leave that news there. Um, what games are you most excited to see? Well, obviously, we talked about Walton and Grayson. Yep. That's going to be big time. Uh, I think it will – say a lot about what Walton's able to do this season. They've been probably the most consistently good team week one out of the gates ever since uh, Coach Bruner got there. They've only lost once. That was last year to Mill Creek. They lost on the last second. I think they're going to come out and really give Grayson a, a tough challenge. They're going to have a new head coach, a lot of new pieces, mm -hmm. and you play a well-oiled machine like Walton, I think that, that could be a big statement because you look at the past wins they've had, every single one of them has been exciting. It's been close. I wouldn't be surprised if they come out and like really put up a, a dominant performance. Uh, let's see the other ones. I think... Oh, yeah, Creekside and Rome, a rematch from yeah. last year. I thought it was raining in that game. It was obviously hot as hell. Uh, <clears throat> that was a great matchup, a, a good 5A matchup against a 6A team. I think this year will be even better. I think with Reese Fountain at Rome getting into his senior year, he's ready to make a statement. Yep. He's playing with a chip on his shoulder. 
Uh, you got Creekside. They're coming off a season where they thought they could have won state. They fell short, I believe, to Warner Robins. I think that one's going to really be special. Yeah, no, I agree. That one, that'll definitely be a good one. I'm, I'm curious to see for me, just real quick, one game is uh, Kale opening up the season. I think they oh, play yeah. Johns Creek. No, Parkview, Parkview. Parkview, thank you. Uh, play Parkview. I'm just curious to see. Parkview just hired their new head coach. Um, that was just recently announced. Um, so I'm curious to see how he's going to fit in the fold. Um, how will they look without Eric Godfrey as their coach? A lot of talent there. Jalen Crawford, Mike Matthews, Kyrie Spain. Um, they got talent all over the field. So just how will that look in week one against Kale, the team, again, Bunch of talent, Kyle Vaca, at him with Peyton Zachary, who's, you know, blowing up in the recruiting world. Um, Bryce Clavin has one more year at the helm. He's been very spectacular across his tenure there. Um, so I just can't wait to see. That That game is going to be a really good one, too, I think, to kind of open it up. So I can't wait to see kind of how that um, game happens. So that's that's the ones I have my eyes on. Yeah, for sure. Kel is a huge storyline this year. Yep. You mentioned Bryce Clavin. This guy He's squatting over 500 pounds. He's running a legit 4-4. He rushed for, I think, 750 yards last year. He completed 70% of his passes, and then they add even more pieces offensively, and it's year two of Bobby May coming in there. I think that will be a great first look at what this Kell team looks like. They were great last year, only two losses, but I think we're really going to see what is being built there, and then we'll get to see Creekside later on. And that's another big-time contender in 5A. So I think just seeing Kell at first and then Creekside stack up against Rome, we'll get a really good idea week one of what those two teams are going to be able to do. And that's a good point. And then just a quick news uh, headline I saw just now. Uh, Milton just scheduled their spring uh, game. They were looking for one for a little minute, but they got one with Cass. So that's going to be the spring game um, in May, about two months from now. So that'll be really intriguing to see. But that's all I got as far as uh, major news across the high school sports. Did you see anything, any headlines this uh, past weekend? Um, I saw Altoona just hired their new coach. I think his name is Brad Smith. I forgot where he came from. He might have been a, another coordinator. I think the other news, we'll obviously talk about it more coming up, but the Corky Kell 7-on-7 seven seven this year is going to be really big. <laughs> yeah. Uh, last year we got a great look at teams like Creekside, uh, Kennesaw Mountain. Yeah, Kennesaw Mountain looked outstanding. Obviously, seven on seven's different. I thought uh, Boo Mitchell was hilarious. He's like, it's not real football, which I get his point. It, listen, if you're going over the middle of the field and you know you aren't going to get tackled, it's a lot easier to catch the ball. We get that. But you can still see the way the quarterback goes out there and leads, how just the tempo they're playing with. You can tell who's going to have athletes, who's going to have – special playmakers offensively uh who's getting after defensively so i think it's a, a great look to see the skill players this year is going to be really big and it'll be just another great kind of part of the quirky kill portfolio no i agree i mean it will be and then uh this year oh, can we announce this year? well just know it's going to be downtown i don't yeah. want to exactly reveal but just know it'll be downtown this year it'll be a lot of fun believe it's going to be broadcasted as well so i mean that event is going to be super special last year it was at uh, roswell area park i believe um but this year yeah they're moving it downtown i'm not gonna say where uh because i don't know if i'm allowed to reveal that yet but just know it's downtown yep it'll be more teams multiple days this time three days and 
just a ton of media attention will be there. I think great footage comes out of it, uh, but having it where we're going to have it, I think it's going to be even better because it'll be more centralized. People will know exactly where it is, who's playing at each field, and it's just, I mean, it's insane. <coughs> one team, if you make it to the finals, it's like in one day you're playing like 11 or 12 games in a couple hours, and you just get to see great matchups. And there is pride in it. It's like – Jeremy Heklinski against like a Bryce Clavin. Right it's now, like which quarterback's gonna ball out more? Yeah, it's like, got those storylines. No, I agree. He definitely got those big storylines. I can't wait to see it. But um, maybe we got to transition to go ahead and go to some basketball. Just what was your favorite game or you know best games you've seen? Recapping the first two rounds um, of basketball. Well, I really, honestly, I enjoyed last night watching the UConn St. Mary's game. I thought it was great basketball. Uh, teams were getting after it. I think what we're noticing though, once you make it past the first round, it's a huge weight off your shoulder. No one wants to get upset. No one wants to be a one and done. And you even look at like a team like Tennessee, it's like they play a really close game out of the gates and then just dominate the second round. You look at a 15 or 16 team, you just beat a number two seed in the first round or a number one. So your second round matchup might even be easier. So I think once that first round actually kind of plays out, you can really see the difference kind of in that second round. The pressure, teams settle in a little bit more. Uh, but, man, it was it was definitely wild. I just – I don't know if all these upsets say that maybe these number one and two seeds aren't as um, – like the gap isn't as wide as we used to think. Yeah, that's a good point. Or – are the the teams that get in with those higher seeds are they actually just closing the gap it's like i don't know but yeah there were definitely a ton of upsets and a lot more that could have happened well i think you brought up a great point when you think about it usually one season before because like it never would happen right so that's the second time in history that happened fdu beat upset purdue but i think it's i think it's a great point you're making i think it's the i think it's more of closing the gap than anything because one, remember, you used to have the top players in the country in high school, they would go straight to college and they would be there for two or three years, talking about like back in the day, 90s and 2000s and things like that, before they would go on to, you know, the next route, the NBA or anything like that. But now you have multiple routes you can go, right? You got NILs now, so they could be there for a couple of years and then leave, or they can go to G League, be there for a year, get highly drafted. So I think all that pays an effect, and then you don't have like some of those name brand schools like the UNC's. I think it's the first time or the second time out of three years that UNC's not in the Sweet 16, Kansas is not in the Sweet 16, Kentucky's not in the Sweet 16, um, or Duke. So I think that's really interesting to see, right? Like those are the those are the blue blood programs you always think about. Oh, they're gonna always be good. They're gonna always be there when it's said and done. But as you mentioned, I think it's those schools like the Kennesaw States who gave Xavier a match. They gave them more of a matchup than Pittsburgh did, yep. you know. And I think it's those teams playing those harder schedules, playing no, playing in those tournaments, playing a couple games against those marquee teams early in the season, finding out what they have, and then being able to kind of down the line, obviously playing in their tough conference and things like that, winning the conference championship, but already knowing, hey, we got the talent to beat these guys. We got the talent to compete. And I think that's why you're seeing it happen on a more – consistent basis 100 percent. there's so many factors that are, are leading to this i also think just probably 15 20 years ago mm-hmm. you talked about the one and done but it's like you used to go to a college knowing you're going to be there 
Bitcoin probably two or three years. Two or three years. Exactly. You're going to have two or three years yep. in the tournament yeah. trying to make a big special run. Mm-hmm. And then use that to potentially get drafted. Yep. Now, let's just be honest. The NBA, <coughs> you watch the first two rounds of the draft. Half of them aren't even from Hello. America. There's so That's many European point. players. It's, yeah. it's insane. I calculated it a couple of years ago. It was like 30 40%. Uh, and it's not just the European players. It's all over now. Yeah. And so you, you'll have a team like, let's just even say Princeton. It's like maybe those guys have been in that program three or four years now. They're going up against a, a batch of really talented players. But you have that multiple years of playing together. The ball moves great you guys are confident and then what i keep seeing in these games and it really is amazing it's like these tipped balls these offensive rebounds it's just insane how some teams are just better at it than others it's like they just tend to i don't know it's like it's like more of a scrappy thing like they're more scrappy and like they gotta go get it more so of a team like okay i know we got our two stars we can kind of depend on them. They're going to take us home. But as you said, when you're playing in the tournament, sometimes you got to die for that loose ball. you got to be able to be scrappy and be able to, you know, keep those possessions going. Because then when you can, you can't hit the shot, you know, then it's more difficult. Then you got to find and scramble and find a way to do it. A good point is uh, Michigan State, right? So they were shooting the ball third highest in the NCAA. I think they were shooting at 39%, right? So in the game they played against uh, Marquette, they shot like one for 15 or something. So then they had to find another area of their game that they could use. And they were being scrappy. They were getting offensive boards. They would go drive it to the lane. So I think the big part you're mentioning is just the adaptability. That's the key now. you got to be able to adapt as a team. If you can't do that, you're not going to go far in the tournament. 100%. I think even in that Kansas loss, didn't Arkansas uh, like miss a free throw at the end and the shooter got his own rebound? It's like, how does that happen? No. That is rare. Like, how many – you play basketball, Mm -hmm. you're on the foul line, you miss it, and you get the rebound that never happens. But some teams are just good at tipping the ball and making something happen when the shots aren't falling. It's like that is such a a key area. Those lead to just devastating momentum-changing plays. It's like – and we saw it all during the basketball state champions too. But it's like you miss a free throw, someone tips it out, a guy's wide open for a three, he knocks exactly. it down. That's devastating. I agree. I mean, that's a good yeah. point. And then what do you think? Obviously, we got to talk about the, the the kind of bone scratching play in the first round of um, I think his name is Clark. Yeah, just like what do you think he was thinking there? I mean, he had a guy on the flank. He had a timeout in his pocket. Just what do you think of that play? What was the game? Was, wasn't there a Patriots player that did something similar? You're talking about, I think, Jacoby Myers now plays for the Raiders, the game he was playing against. Yeah, he threw the ball all the way back, but he said he was trying to make a play. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, And it was a return for the touchdown by Chandler Jones. Yeah. That's right. That's what it reminded me of. It's just like, and I think this one was honestly worst. Uh, for sure. So what was the score at the time? So they were up. Right, the team is they trailing. Were by they're up by two. two. They yeah. were trailing by three. I mean, yeah, no, they were up by two. They hit the three to go up one. So all he has to do is they have to foul him. There's not a lot of time left. He has a guy on the flank that he could have passed the ball to, didn't pass it to him, or he could have called a timeout because he's getting double. But then he's just like, oh no 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 no, and then just kind of just threw it. Yeah, with what like six seconds left? It's probably like eight seconds. Eight seconds. Yeah. yeah, that's unbelievable. Yeah. And then Furman comes down and just drills the three. Yeah, knocks down the three. 
Yeah, that's so that's a really bad <coughs> bad loss for for Virginia. I thought it no. was crazy. No, I mean the I, first I time I saw it, it's just like it's one of the yeah one of the worst plays I've seen in a while. No, <laughs> for sure, for sure. But I don't know. I feel like every year, like Virginia has a good decent team, and they just disappoint in the postseason. I don't know what it is, but um, they just always get there if they're whether a two, three, four C, five C, and they just I don't know. Okay. Just like it can never come together for them, but that's what's out to us. Um, you know, can Princeton continue to make a Cinderella run? I think that's a that's a um, topic we should discuss. Um, I think they could. They're going to play Creighton in the Sweet Sixteen. That's the matchup I believe is going to be on Friday. Um, they've already beat Missouri. They've already beat Arizona. Um, they play good team basketball. They move the ball. Um, I, I I could see them going making the Elite Eight um, appearance. Yeah, I mean they're. I think Alabama looks really good. I think the Arkansas win shows that the SEC really was legit this year. I think Tennessee's playing really well like them. But, yeah, of course they they can get past Creighton. The win over Arizona, as I said, you beat a two seed in the first round. Yeah. It might get easier. It's like you're going to eventually run into a team that's advanced past the first two, three rounds, and it it gets a little tougher. But, yeah, Princeton, I think they're – they're definitely kind of in terms of Cinderella's. I, I think they have it going on. They've made some noise before. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I think they can make an Elite Eight um, perform. I think Elite Eight is probably where they, the Cinderella run will kind of you know run out. They'll probably play a marquee team then. But yeah, I think they could be Creighton and, and make an Elite Eight appearance for sure. Um, so I'm excited to see what they're going to do. Um, my favorite games I'm looking out for this weekend. Um, obviously, it's going to be UCLA versus Gonzaga, uh, three versus two. I think that's going to be a great game. You know, will U- UCLA have an answer for Drew Timmy is the biggest question. I think he's just kind of a do-it-all player, really good on the glass, um, really just, you know, matchup nightmare. He's good at passing outside the block in the post. Um, and then Jaime uh, uh, Hasquez has been having a great run, 24 points in his last game. I'm looking out for that guard, kind of guard play for Gonzaga versus UCLA. I think that's going to be an incredible game. And then UConn and Arkansas. Um, Devontae Davis had 25 points in the last one, and Ricky Council had 21. And then uh, Adame Sonoga is a player to watch for for UConn. He's averaging 26 points per game in the um, in the tournament. So that's a guy for UConn to watch out for. And then Miami and Houston. Houston nearly got upset early, but they've been able to bottle back from the half. Uh, Norchai Almir, he was uh, out for a little while, um, but he's came back and made his presence felt. Um, Miami has a really good team, so I think that's going to be a really good matchup between those two teams. The style goes to Elite Eight, and then Xavier in Texas. Um, Xavier, as we know, um, you know, nearly got upset by Kennesaw State, but they, you know, blew out the competition in the second round pretty easy. You can make the argument that um, Kennesaw State was a better matchup for them, um, but they won. Uh, Texas is having a great deep run again, um, and they got a really good. They got a really good team. Um, Marcus Carr. Serge Barry Rice, um, Dylan DeSue. I mean, they got talent all over their roster. So that's going to be a good matchup between both of those teams. Can Tex, um, McCain and Xavier string it together? Does Sean Miller have a plan for that really deep Texas roster? Yeah. <clears throat> no, Texas has been good. We've talked about them a lot, how they were struggling to start games or having to do too many comebacks. Yep. Well, they've advanced past the first two rounds. So clearly they've fixed some things. They've adjusted. I think what you said uh, – that Miami matchup. How yeah. good is Miami? They've had pretty easy doings, easy pickings the first two rounds. They're running into a Houston team wearing the number one seed. I think that'll be a good matchup. Yep. And then 
Yeah, what the UCLA game? UCLA and Gonzaga. Yeah. That's another one on my island. I think that's going to be a good I like one. UCLA this year. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is Drew Timmy's last year. I picked them to so. come out of that quadrant. I think they're, they're going to do it. Think they're going to do it? Yep. I think that'll be an interesting one. And then, obviously, uh, Saturday, Sunday will be the Elite Eight. So, there'll be a lot of good action this weekend. So, those are the, my matchups. Any other ones that you thought were, were um, standouts? No, but with UCLA, it's like – I don't know. I, I pictured the Final Four or Elite Eight, and it's just like that classic UCLA jersey, the cheerleaders on the s- sideline. It's just going to happen. They're going to beat Gonzaga. Um, I think – well, I really like Tennessee. So, I'll, I mean, I'll watch that game against FAU. And, yeah, Kansas State, Michigan State will be huge. With Kansas out, yeah. uh, that's a boost for Kansas State. I know their fans are – Definitely happy anytime Kansas loses. No, for sure. So we'll see. I mean, yeah, Tom Izzo, I think, got a good group of uh, kids. Um, he always seems to make some some deep playoff runs. Usually when they're a higher seed, I feel like they go a That's little bit right, further. Yep. I don't know what it is, but when they're like kind of like favored, not so much. When we're playing with house money and they're like a, a higher seed, they always seem to do well. So I think that's a team to watch out for as well. Yep, when they're a 7 or even a 8, 9, or 10, they <laughs> – you're 100% right on that. Yeah, they're just they're just a different breed. But um, that's going to conclude us for our basketball segment and college segment. We're going to move to NFL, major action sure. there. Uh, free agency frenzy took place the last couple of weeks or so. So, Craig, for you, just um, what were some big uh, deals that stood out to you? Sure. Um, some players you're excited to see who won this next season? I think with the Chiefs, what, Juwan Taylor, the – from Jacksonville. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a it's a big signing. From what I've seen, though, they're saying that the offensive tackle position is kind of in a league-wide reset right now based on some of these major contracts. That was a position where for years it's like, oh, that's the first position you need to take in the draft. Left tackle, left tackle, left tackle. And it's like I don't necessarily think that's back, but – think it's pretty obvious if you don't have a good left tackle you're done yeah you have to shore that up and so I think that market's really been hot um the Chiefs seem to be letting some of their their starters and contributors hit the market some of them were walking I think they're going to be obviously aggressive happy in the draft they have done really well in that department uh and I think they aren't afraid to introduce or bring in new pieces so i think with them they've kind of sat back in free agency they aren't going to go out and spend a lot they're going to try to build through the draft but i mean there's been a a ton of movement for sure it's just it's insane actually i looked at the list just in the last month because i was going to try to look at i mean it, it was over 30 pages of all these moves it's insane no it is i mean every year i mean free agency always impresses and always has so much just going on um what do you think about just losing your left tackle orlando brown and him actually signing with the Bengals? i mean that was obviously a big move for us um our left tackle was not too happy about it jonah williams they're gonna try moving the right tackle he he requested a trade but i think for us that helped us out a lot um because he gave up the most sacks in the league um Mm -hmm. at his position so I think that's something we've needed to show up. That's been a problem in the last couple of our playoff runs. I've been our offensive line. Um, you know, going into the game, we weren't healthy. We had three backups. But I think they've done a good job, you know, signing Cody Ford, getting the big franchise left tackle in Orlando Brown. Just what is he, what did he mean to the Chiefs when he played for you? What's your thoughts on that? And then just the Bengals snapping him. It was huge. I mean, first of all, coming from the Chiefs, 
you know like versatility doesn't even say it it's like you have to be so in tune with the playbook and just getting up to the line all the different things they do all the inside shovels and motions and quick runs in the in the red zone in at the goal line it's like you know he's able to do it all i really liked orlando brown i had a feeling we're gonna lose him i think him going to the Bengals is a huge deal because I mean, he's gonna be playing against the chiefs it's like, you get ready for that match around yeah huh? for sure i feel you no it's a huge deal but hasn't there also this year or was it last season they introduced like the performance bonus for a lot of these players um offensive linemen that i think if they graded well or played the majority of snaps like whoever on each team played the most snaps they would get like a significant bonus i I think think that happened so maybe that's impacting some of these some of these offensive linemen moves where if you're the the right guard that might not have that orlando brown contract or interest in the market but you played the most snaps out of anyone on your team or top three you're getting the eight hundred thousand dollar bonus for that season so i think that durability and being in the right spot i mean that's a huge huge plus for offensive linemen that definitely um I don't think they they get enough things for what that job really is. No, I agree with you. I mean, you like like you said, the left tackle position is so important now. You see a lot of money dealt out to it. Um, you have to be able to protect, and you're going to get some of the best edge rushers in the game. Like some guys are just aliens. Like you know, the Miles Garrett's, the T.J. Watts, um, the Michael Parsons. Um, yeah. of the world. So just to be able to defend that, sometimes you have to go one-on-one with those guys. Sometimes 100%. you don't get the chip or the help. It's know? insane. To think about like how, how good some of these guys grade out for the entire season, yeah. it's like you're in a, a crucial yeah. third and two. You're playing in the Super Bowl. You can't miss that block. No. And it's like they there's guys that don't. It's like that's a very valuable thing to have on your team. It <laughs> is. It is. So I'll say for me, a lot of free agency moves, um, I ain't gonna lie, Craig, I was nervous. Like, we weren't making no moves up yeah. to that point. It was like three days, nothing. Like, we lost Jesse Bates, who is Atlanta Falcons now. We lost Von Bell, who's at the Panthers. We lost Hayden Hurst, who's at the Panthers. Um, we lost Samaji P. Ron. So I'm like, yo, what are we doing? Like, are we gonna go get somebody? So then that news just came out of nowhere. I was happy about that. And then we signed Nick Scott, the safety from the Rams. So he's kind of like a run stuffer. Um, he's really good at, you know, creating contact and things like that. So I was excited about that. So I do like the moves they're making. Obviously, the big premise the last two years for us has been O-line, 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 which I like. Um, so now it's just coming together. And I felt like towards the end of the year, it came together really well. They were protecting well. And I felt um, up prior to the injury, they looked like a really good playoff offensive line. So obviously, they know what the French quarterback needs and wants. And, the Bengals are doing that. So now we just got to yeah. get a couple spots. Tight end is another position. We need some more running backs and uh, things like that. So I was I was satisfied, though. Yeah, no, 100%. As long as they're improving that area, that was a big question. But yeah. even last season, it's like against the Chiefs, definitely a winnable game. Uh, <laughs> against the Bengals, I mean, against the Bills, you guys dealing with injuries on the offensive line, beat the heck out of them. Yeah. They just ran all over them. And so you – bring back an offensive line next year that's able to hold its own win and you got Joe Burrow back there I think that's all you guys need to do is just I think the big question is keeping that defense uh, up to that standard it was last year which was exceptional 
Yeah, man, um, that's the biggest thing. We're going to see defensively. I think they um, said you guys were the best tackling team in the NFL last year in terms of the fewest missed tackles. Yeah. I mean, Lou Anaroma does a great job coaching them up. We were able to sign, I didn't mention this, we signed uh, Jermaine Pratt to a three-year deal, so that's great. Um, but, yeah, I agree, man. We're, we're going to have to see. Um, only spot that worries me, Craig, is our secondary. We're kind of like what you guys did. We're really young there. Um, you know, obviously we get the veteran that comes in as a safety, go along with Dax Hill, who we drafted last year. But, you know, well, the safety spot is a place that I'm still keeping my eye on. Obviously, corner, we're younger. We got Kem Taylor Britt. We got uh, Chidobia Wuzier. We got Mike Hilton. But defense is going to be an interesting um, position next year. But I'll say this real quick. I'm going to transition some more um, deals. I would not be surprised if the Bengals, the 28 overall pick, if they trade or move up, whatever they decide to do. I won't be surprised to get the, the really great tackle out of Ohio State, the right tackle, Dewan Jones. That would be a great move. I think they do that, they've solidified their line for the next five years because you already got Orlando Brown on a four-year deal. Obviously, you have Lyle Collins, but, you know, he's been hurt. He has back issues and things like that. You go get the young guy, have him come in until Collins is ready, and if he impresses, you roll with Jones. And I think he, if you go look at his tape and him playing Michigan, really great right tackle if he's still available. We'll see what they do. But now they go into the draft with being able to, to choose the best available guy. No, that's a great point. And then just back to the defense. You look at last year's, they tackle great. You guys produced a ton of those timely turnovers. And it's like other teams, they seem to have like a weak point. Or late in the game, a guy gives up a big play. I don't think you guys had that problem last year. I really don't. No, I don't, I don't think we did either for the most part, no. I mean, big plays, not really. I mean, obviously to you guys, that bonehead play at the end. But, no, for the most part, I mean, no, nah, we didn't really give up big plays. They were they were pretty – they were a sound defense. And, like I said, I think Blue and Road did a good job of disguising coverages and, you know, excuse me, keeping the defense honest. Um, so, we'll see. I think another position, kind of how you guys got was obviously Chris Jones dominating that game against us. Um, I think you guys no longer have Frank Clark, but we're going to have to get another edge rusher. I think the edge rusher is underrated. That's something we got to get to. Obviously, we got Trey Hendrickson, but we're going to need something else to kind of help spell him or on the other side as well yeah. help him out. <clears throat> that guy that at the end of the game they have to pay attention to. Yes, they have to put more attention to yeah. for sure. But other moves, I'll go ahead and uh, put these out, Craig, get your kind of reaction. Laramie Tunsil for the Texans, he signed a major deal. Yep. He got $50 million guaranteed, the highest paid tackle yeah, in the game yeah. in NFL history. Yeah, I know uh, Graham insane. Uh, CJ, DJ, um, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, he signed one-year deal, $8 million with the Lions. That's going to hurt the Eagles secondary. I think they lost both of their starting safeties as well this year. Adam Thielen signed a three-year deal with the Panthers. Jamal Williams signed a three-year deal with the Saints. Uh, Eagles re-signed both of the corners, Darius Slay and James Bradbury. Cowboys just traded for Brandon Cooks for a couple fifth and sixth round picks. So they solidified that uh, receiving corpse in that receiving room. Jimmy G signed a three-year, $65.5 million deal with the Raiders. Jesse Bates signed with the hometown Falcons for four years, $64 million. And then the big one, me and you got to talk about. Aaron Rodgers to the New York Jets. So he's already said it's not been in total yet, but he says he intends to play with the Jets. He said this last week on the Pat McAfee show. So let's just assume, Craig, that he's with the Jets. What does that mean for the AFC? And I'm going to break it down what I think it means for the division and everything. But what do you think him going to the Jets means for the AFC, barring a deal happens and they trade those first-round picks and get them on an aging quarterback? What do you think? I still think the conversation centers around uh, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow. I think if he did come in, people would say, oh, no, now he's in the conversation. He's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. It's like I like Aaron Rodgers. I think he's a good quarterback. 
I've never understood, and I'm not saying I'm like a film expert or quarterback expert, but it's like everyone just always acting like he's just like the greatest quarterback of all time. It's like <laughs> I watched games last year, and maybe it's just that the Packers didn't have a lot of talent at the receiver core. It's like their offense did not look good at all. And so <laughs> not putting it on him, it's just I, as a Chiefs fan, if Aaron Rodgers is on RB, the Jets, so it's just RBC. and you. Even as a Bengals fan, I feel like Bengals fans and Chiefs fans aren't necessarily going to be afraid of playing against Aaron Rodgers. No, the Lions swept them last year, um, but the Jets do have a really talent. talented they do. roster and but, defense. Yeah, but yeah, exactly what you said. It's like those other players across the board, across the roster, are going to win the game. I don't think one guy in particular can just come in first year and get it done. I know Brady did it at Tampa Bay. Um, In the NFC. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know. I'm going to say this. um, It's a big move on their part if they get them. They're going to finally get a franchise signal caller. But it's like, what are you willing to bet for that is the thing. Because you're only going to get, we know how kind of, I'm trying to think of the word, non-committal he's been to being long-term, right? Like Green Bay gave him his money last year, three years, $150 million, right? So he's probably going to give you another good two to three years. So are you willing to bet in those two or three years he's going to win a Super Bowl, right? Like you just mentioned, you got all that competition. Chiefs aren't going nowhere, right? People say the Bills. Bills aren't going anywhere. People say the Bengals. Bengals aren't going anywhere. Um, you got your other dark horses, Chargers, Jaguars, right? So does it make them better? For sure. It's better than Zach Wilson being the, the quarterback. And we know that they would have been a playoff team if they had Aaron Rodgers last year, right? They have the yep. defense. They got Quentin Williams, Sauce Gardner, defensive rookie of the year. Offensively, they just signed Alan Lazard. They're going to pair that with Garrett Wilson Jr., uh, who just won offensive rookie of the year. So, obviously, they got talent. But as you said, can have the talent, but it's a team thing, right? It can't be all about A-Rod. I love A-Rod, too. He used to be one of my favorite quarterbacks, right? From a talent perspective, he's probably one of the best ever. And I, that's why I say a key, not from accomplishing, not from maybe on-field play, but the best talented ever, you could say Aaron Rodgers. But... Can he make it come together is the big thing. And like you said, you're going to have to go against these these big quarterbacks. Like you're going to go against the Patrick Mahomes, the Josh Allen, Joe Burrows, the Justin Herberts, the Trevor Lawrences. Can he do it? I'm not saying he can't. He can't. But the AFC, there's levels to this. It's more steep, I think, than any other conference. And then I think this is division. Bro, like if we look at the AFC East now, I mean, obviously, two is still a question mark, right? They picked up his year, his um, fifth-year option, $22 million, right? You got Jalen Ramsey now on the outside, along with Xavier Howard and Jalen Phillips right. in the uh, defensive rush, and then also Christian Wilkins in the interior, right? So you got the Dolphins there, along with Jalen Waddle and Tyreek Hill. That's the, just the Dolphins. That's in your division. You got Buffalo. You're still going to have Stephon Diggs, Gabriel Davis, um, Jordan Poyer, their, their defense. They lost their linebacker, so-and-so, uh, Ter- Terrell Edmonds. But you're still going to have the Bills, right? Patriots are still kind of a question mark. But let's just say those are the two other contenders. Still got to mess with the Dolphins. You still got to mess with the um, the Bills. So I think in the AFC East, they're just going to be up each other. That's going to be a really interesting division to see who kind of comes out. I think what you're saying is the AFC East is a lot better than the NFC North was. For sure. <laughs> yes. It's like night and day. Yeah. Yes, night and day. Right now, for sure. AFC East is way better than, than the yeah, NFC North. Yeah, it's top competition. Yeah. It's just... I don't know. Every time I watched him last year, it's like, it, yeah, it's Aaron Rodgers. Was that his best season ever? Of course not. So it's like, 
is it was it just the situation he was in and now oh he's gonna potentially go to the Jets and then he's back to best season ever career year that'd be pretty interesting to see but but yeah even back to your point they they got four remember Craig they got four straight years they were in the NFC championship game and they did not go to the Super Bowl lost to San Fran multiple times and they lost to like two other teams I can't think off the top of my head but you had all the talent that you had the number one receiver I think in the game and Devontae Adams right you had the talent you had defensively you had the talent so it's like now to me even in the AFC there's no excuse you gotta you gotta get it done got to get it done so i mean we'll see i think it's an interesting move um obviously dead fans are excited for what it means but as you mentioned how long is the project going to be it's going to be tough like what is what is the expectation in your one is the super bowl yeah it has to be yeah so it's like if they don't get the super bowl because the playoffs and you lose an ace championship game is a season of failure so i think it's tough yeah we'll kind see. Of a tough spot. i haven't watched the full mcafee interview yet but yeah, we'll see what the timeline is on it. I just think after what we saw last year with the disappointment at, at Green Bay, to see him go from that to playing top form MVP season, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. I mean, I mean he had so many red zone interceptions. It's like, yeah, I know he's not throwing to Tyree Kill or whatever, but still it's like he just did not look like he was at his top form last year. No. He did not look happy. <laughs> no, he didn't. And, and that, that's kind of interesting. I mean, he hasn't looked happy in a little mile, but I, I just – I mean, obviously money isn't everything, but I felt for the most part they've tried to accommodate him, to give him the money. I don't know. You know, it's tough. But at least with the Jets, he found a good team and a good roster. But anything uh, before we close the show today, Craig, you want to hit on NFL, anything that we didn't talk about that just stood out to you over the weekend? Hmm. Not in particular. So when is the, the draft going to be coming up, though? That's April 27th through 28th. April 27th, so just over a month. I think it will be really interesting. Obviously, I like seeing where guys that we saw ball out in college go. I like seeing where all the Georgia guys go. Last year was really impressive with Cedar Grove dominating, uh, the state of Georgia dominating. I think we had 23% of the draft picks played high school football in Georgia. So I'm going to get that list ready, and that's kind of where my focus is going to be, just looking at these mock drafts and having something to reference uh, when all these crazy trades start going down. I agree. Um, I, I can't wait. I, I love the draft. Um, it's underrated, I think, in some aspects, especially the later rounds, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh rounds. You might be like, oh, I don't know who that is, but – we see it from you guys. Those people, those guys can make a difference. Getting those Trent McDuffies, getting those Isaiah Pachecos in the seventh round, that the Brock Purdy's of the world, Mr. Irrelevance, that makes a difference. So just because your name isn't called on the first day, it's not mean you can't make your impact on the field on that first year. So I can't wait. I'm excited. Um, actually, I have something I'm going to say after. It depends on who Carolina takes as number one pick. But I like the moves they're making. That could be a dangerous team next year. But I'm going to get more in depth about it after who they pick first overall and how the draft goes. So it'll be interesting. But no, I'm excited. The draft is great. I'm interested to see who we're going to get, who you guys get, what they decide to do in certain positions. Um, so I can't wait. For sure. And yeah, everyone needs to follow us tomorrow. We'll be at Mercedes-Benz Stadium at the official press conference. It will be exciting. Yes, yeah, so go to scoryteal.com for that. Follow Scoryteal, uh, Score Atlanta on Twitter. Uh, we'll have all that social media and things like that updated tomorrow. So um, stay tuned for that, guys. Hope you have a, a good week. 
Sorry we had to do this on Monday. Just going to be very busy tomorrow. We're not going to have time. So um, we'll see you guys next Tuesday for another episode. And we we'll see you then. And shout out to Jordan. Yeah, yeah we stopped <laughs> being an issue, but I still miss Jordan. Too, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah.